0: The 6th of July, 2006,
1: episode 37. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Alan Hay. Rookie Designer is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Let's take a look at the starting lineup.
0: We've spoken in the past about how it's a good thing to find a niche, so you don't become kind of this jack-of-all-trades and a master of nothing, so that you can really hone in on your skills on one particular area. One of those first decisions usually involves making the choice between print and web, or at least print in something that you actually do on the computer or on screen, but these days, it seems like we can't simply choose one or the other and still have the best chance of securing a job. We're going to talk about those things today on rookie designer. After you're done listening to this podcast, check out the darn PC podcast with Harold Reed available at
1: www.darnpc.com where we talk about what to do with that darn PC and much more. That's the darn PC podcast at
0: www.darnpc.com. I know, I know. Everything's late this week. Well, uh, if you're living in the United States, you probably understand that, well, we had our Independence Day holiday. It was right in the middle of the week, so it really kind of screwed everything up. I've been behind ever since. Uh, We had a bunch of people in town visiting. We did the big go out to the beach all day thing, and it really just kind of put a cramp in my style for as far as my production schedules went. Uh, If you watch Quick Tips, you probably already know that that one came out a day late. And the bad thing about that was I actually had that one all ready to go and just kind of dropped the ball on it. So it was ready to go out Tuesday, but I didn't get out till Wednesday. And now here I am recording this late on Thursday. It's actually 4.16 p.m. here on the West Coast. So you'll probably most likely get this tomorrow. But uh, again, I apologize for being late, but it was kind of a strange week for me. So other news, the, uh, the podcast awards, as you probably have heard are going on right now. So if you want to nominate me, I would really appreciate that. You just go to podcastawards.com. Look on the left-hand side and in the navigation, there's, uh, there's a link there that says now, uh, it says, what does it say? It says nominate now. And, uh, you just click on that and you're going to see a bunch of different categories there. Just go ahead and stick us in on the education category. The name of the show, of course, is Rookie Designer. The URL is rookiedesigner.com forward slash rookie. And I'd appreciate it if you do that. Get us nominated and we'll see if we can move on to that next area there where there's, I think there's about five podcasts in each category. And then you go ahead ahead head after that as well. Uh, it's also a new month, so if you have the time and want to give me your podcast alley vote again, please go ahead and do that. Uh, I've noticed a lot of people have done it already, and thank you for for remembering to do it. I don't always remember to remind you when it's a new month, but uh, thanks for getting up there and do that. And again, to do that, just go to the Rookie Designer website and stick your email in the form field on the top right-hand corner, and uh, you'll get a, you'll receive an email. Just click on the link, and you're all done. Very simple to do. A couple other things I wanted to mention. Uh, I just read that Apple is actually putting out a couple of different MacBook configurations now. They're called MacBook Ultimate. And basically all this is, is it's kind of upgraded. As you may know, when you go look at the store, the way they usually set these up, they've only got like 512 of RAM on them and everything's kind of shortchanged on it. So this is, there's more RAM on them. There's more... uh, more gigabytes in the hard drive, and it's just kind of a, a beefed-up version, which you could basically take the, the low model and do to, do to it yourself. And I'm not sure if it's any more discounted by, by getting this Ultimate one, but just something out there for that. And, of course, these come in the white and black, which I'm kind of bummed they don't make the uh, the Pro versions of the MacBook in black because, well, I love the color black, and I just think they look really cool that way. But anyways, MacBook Ultimate, so keep an eye out for that if you're in the market. Also, I just want to talk about the Adobe website. I have a buddy that works for Adobe. He does like system maintenance for them. And, of course, he's been running rampant since they had the merger with Macromedia. But I just went to the website, uh, and everything's all integrated now. If you go to macromedia.com, it just takes you straight to the Adobe website. And they've made some pretty good upgrades. The Adobe website was always a really nice one, really well-organized and uh, easy to use. But I think they've adopted a couple of things from the Macromedia website that makes it even better now. They have some nice Flash demos of all their products, and everything's just put together real good. It's packaged really nicely. So if you have some time, go check that out, because it's pretty cool. All right, our topic for today was from one of our listeners, Brad, and he wanted to hear more about print design versus web design. And I thought this was a really good topic, for, especially for those who are in school, because when you first get into graphics, you may not understand all the issues that go along with each of these different mediums and exactly how different they are. Uh, they can be somewhat similar. But they can also be really different at the same time. And it's good to know what kind of workflow you're going to need for each one. And again, those particular issues that you're going to face, especially if you're working in both. And that was actually going to be the last thing I was going to touch on today. So the first thing I want to talk about are the differences. And I think the first one, I, I'm pretty sure i pointed this out before, but it it goes along with visibility. In web you can get a pretty good look at what your finished product is going to look like even when you're in the middle of making it and this is of course because well you're designing it on the computer and that's where it's going to be viewed Um, where you run into the problem is when you're in a print environment which of course has to be sent out to a printer or even printed at home or in your office and it's going to look a lot different than it does on your screen but with web, uh, you can really get a good look at your finished product even before it's done, even in the middle of, of actually making it. As I said, print can be kind of a night and day difference between what you see on the screen and their final product. And there's several reasons why that might happen. You might have a piece that's die cut. Maybe it has something like round edges, and it's not always easy to get a, a good look at that on the screen. Way you, uh, there's ways you can go in and fake that and be able to make it Kind of look as though it was it was die cut, but it's not always easy to imagine what it's going to look like unless you actually have it in your hands. Also, large format graphics. I mean, you're really restricted by how big your screen is here. But I mean, even if you're if you're producing graphics for something that's going to go on the side of a vehicle, like the the bus graphics, or if you're doing something for like a trade show that's going to be like a ten by twenty booth or a ten by ten booth. It's kind of hard to get the idea of what that is actually going to look like just by looking at it on, looking at it on your computer because of course on your computer it's, you know, inches by inches, not feet by feet. So that can be also a hindrance there. Uh another one is screened objects. Uh I guess a good example of course would be the easy one would be t-shirts or even uh food products like soda cans are usually silk screened on. And again, when you look at that on your computer, it's just flat. I mean, there are ways that you can take it and you can even go into Illustrator and make some kind of 3D object and kind of wrap it around there just to see what it's going to look like. But again, not always the easiest thing to do. And of course, it's still going to look different than if you had the actual product in your hand and you're looking at it that way. And the last one I can think of was folded pieces. And again, uh, you can kind of crop things down to see how they'll look when they're folded, but you're just not getting that same experience as when you hold, say like a brochure or some CD, uh, CD artwork in your hand and actually flip through it and, and get that whole effect of what the piece is really about. The second biggest issue is color. Of course, we have several different choices here. We're going to be working in RGB, CMYK. If we're doing print work, we're, we're, we might be actually messing with Pantone colors. Again, with web, you're you're really more at an advantage because you actually see what you're getting up front. Whoever you're sending this to, whoever's going to be looking at this end result, they're looking at it the same way you are on a computer monitor. So you're already you're already seeing the end product as far as color goes. The only thing you're going to remember here is, of course, to use RGB colors instead of CMYK. Now, would it be the end of the world if you use CMYK? Probably not. But you're going to notice that the colors look a bit more dull because, of course, CMYK is cyan, magenta, yellow, and black, which are the inks that are used to make up a printed piece. So you're always going to want to use RGB. RGB are the colors that make up what you see on your computer screen. For print, well, you can really end up with something totally different than what you're seeing on your screen. And the biggest example of this is Pantone colors. Pantone colors can look completely different. They can look like a whole different color on your screen than they do when they're actually printed out. And somebody sent me a question not too long ago, I think it was email or through the forums and was asking if a Pantone book is a good idea, a good thing to have. And I'll go ahead and say, yes, it is. If you use Pantone colors a lot, if you're in a print environment and you're constantly using Pantone colors, then it's probably a good idea because like I said, sometimes they look completely different. You could have some kind of blue and it might look purple on your screen, but you just have to trust that, you know, you have the one out of the book and you can see there what it looks like when it's printed. And then the Pantone books also, they're going to come in coated or uncoated or coated or matte finish. So you got to take that into account, but uh, definitely a good thing to have around to make sure that you're, you're going to uh, get the color that you want. And even just with CMYK colors, some colors are really hard to reproduce consistently. And a good example of this at my work, they have a, a certain blue color that we always use. And it's it's just one of those colors. And there's a lot of tan colors out there too that are really hard to reproduce. You can get close, but even in one run, you're going to notice some difference in between the colors. And this happened with us. We had this blue color and it's on our... Uh, it's on our brochure. We did a run of like 5 or 10,000, got them all back and just picked out a couple of them. And you can definitely see, you know, a pretty big difference in between those. And this, of course, is where the company might want to use a Pantone color because Pantone colors are specially mixed. They're going to come out the same every time. So that's where you would use the Pantone color instead. You're also going to find that noticeable difference even between, you know, from your laser printer to your inkjet printer to, of course, the offset printer. Um, There's really, even between brands, you might find differences in how they calculate the colors or how the colors actually come out on them. And this is where, again, it, it helps if you're going to be doing something, if you're going to be printing at your own house or in your own office, you're probably going to want to calibrate that printer so that you don't have these problems as often. And that's something that can definitely help. But that's outside the scope of this uh, discussion today. So we'll touch on that some other time. This is, again, why we we proof everything before we send it to press also. you got to make sure that they bring you that proof before you go ahead and, and sign off on, on them printing 10,000 or 5,000 or something because obviously, If the color did turn out purple instead of blue, you don't want 10,000 mistakes. You want to catch that beforehand. Uh, It might cost you a little bit of money because you have to go through the whole proofing process again. But, well, that's a whole lot better than having 10,000 mistakes. So make sure you always see a proof. uh, No matter what printer you're going to, if you go to Kinko's, and I'd say especially if you go to Kinko's because they tend to mess things up more than anyone else, Make sure you go back and see that proof before you get all your final pieces printed. Uh, One more thing. The color can even change on the press in the middle of a job. And I guess we already kind of illustrated that in the fact that, uh, you know, sometimes the colors are hard to reproduce consistently. But... I mean this can happen different different temperatures in the building or in the machinery. Different things can, can cause these different things. And uh usually, you know, they're gonna have somebody at the end of the press and he's checking the color every every so often to make sure that it's consistent. Because obviously that it's gonna look bad from their company, from their printing company, if it comes back and you've got like fifteen different colors that are all supposed to be the same. But it's something that you have to look out for. And a lot of bigger companies, when they have very big jobs, they'll actually send somebody out to go through and and just make sure that everything's going well throughout the whole process of printing. Our next big topic, and this is another very big one, is resolution. Now, this is a topic that boggles the mind of many a people. Many people that are not trained in graphic design or design. And my advice to you is to learn it very well because you're going to have to teach it to people for the rest of your career. Anybody who's out there already working in the field, and I've heard it from a lot of people already, you already know this. This is something that people just don't seem to get. And I definitely had to go through and teach my, my boss about it. And uh, you probably will at some point too. But you get that question all the time. Why can't I print this logo, which they got off the web? Or why, how come when I print this, it's blurry looking? You know, Because they take it, they put it in their Word document, they try and size it up about 400%, and they think it's supposed to look good still. Obviously, this isn't going to work. And the simple fact to know here is web images don't print. I mean, they do, but they don't look good. And print images don't belong online because they're too big. They'll take too long to download. So if you have print images bound for your offset printing, you're probably going to want those to be 300 PPI. And this is another thing. PPI stands for pixels per inch. It's very often confused with DPI, which is dots per inch, which is talking about actually printing that's the dots that go down and make up the images on the page. And people intertwine these so often that it's it just gets annoying after a while. But PPI refers to pixels per inch, which if you have an image that's on your computer, it's obviously made of pixels, not dots. So that's the difference there. For images that are going on the web, they should be at least under 100 PPI or pixels per inch. I usually set mine up for 72 PPI. Um, I think this is a Mac versus PC thing. I I don't really understand exactly. There's more pixels that that make up the the PC monitor. So I believe that's why the difference is if you download an image off the off the internet on a PC, I believe it's 96 PPI instead of 72. 72 would actually be Macintosh, but at this point uh, I don't really think it matters all that much. Just make sure it's under under 100. Obviously, if you have a 300 PPI image, it's going to take consider considerably longer to download than one that's underneath hundred. Uh, if you don't know this already, it's something that, that it's only going to take you once to figure it out. Just try and put a put up a, a 300 PPI image and link to it and just see how long it takes you to download. You'll notice there's a significant difference. And obviously I th- I'm sure everybody's noticed the other way around when you try and print a low res image. It happens a lot of times if you're printing out, say, like MapQuest directions or something. You'll notice there's graphics on that page. And when you print them out, they all look blurry and they look like crap. So obviously not something you want to do.
1: The keys to the game brought to you by techpodcast.com.
0: The key command for today is save for web. And this is something that you can do out of Photoshop and out of Illustrator. And on the Mac, we're going to be pressing Command, Option, Shift, and S. On the PC, you're going to press Control, Alt, Shift, and S. And this is sometimes referred to as the claw. And when you press all those buttons with one hand, you'll see what I mean. This is a very good key command. comes in very handy if you're making images for the web. So definitely keep it in your hip pocket. So we talked a little bit about the differences between web images, and, or web images and print images. Uh, I also wanted to talk about some of the similarities and more of the similarities in the workflow that we use if we're doing one or the other. And we're not going to obviously cover everything in this topic. There's just a world of differences and probably a lot of things that are the same about how you work with these images and these graphics. But uh, obviously I can't cover everything, but these were just the ones that came to mind. Now, when we're talking about workflow, we've talked before about when you're, when you're doing print, you're going to, most likely, you're going to want to start with a pencil and a paper. And you're going to draw thumbnails, and you're going to go to comps, and blah, blah, blah. We've talked about that. Not every web designer starts with a pencil and a piece of paper. They probably should. But then again, not every print designer does either. But uh, the recommendation is that you do start at that that point. And I think it becomes even more important with a website because you kind of have to map out where everything's going to be. And it's a very visual thing. So it's good to just grab a piece of paper and start drawing little bubbles or some kind of hierarchy of where all your pages are going to be, maybe what kind of images are on there. You can also maybe draw little thumbnails of what your layouts are going to look like on the pages. And if you have animations, you might actually go as far as storyboarding the animations so that you can see the progression of what's going to happen. But definitely a good idea to just at least map out your site so that you're not just starting at page one and just adding pages on and not really knowing where they're going to go before you do it. The next step after that is probably going to be moving to onto the computer into Photoshop to make some kind of initial comp up. And uh, this is probably something you're going to do whether you're saving your images out for the web or whether you're, you're setting something up to save out as separate images for your print layout. But this is also where you might have to make your, your first big decision. And that has to do with, of course, resolution and color space. Now, when you're doing things for web, you're almost always going to start in low-res, low-resolution, in RGB. Now, the one exception to this is, and I think I've mentioned this before, if you have a campaign that's stretching across print and web design, then you're probably going to want to start in high-resolution. Or maybe not initially start in high-resolution, but when you get that first final piece, you're going to want it to be high res because of course it's easy to downsize graphics or or down res them to go onto the web and still have them look good. But when you take something that's low resolution and you try and bump it up to either a bigger size or a bigger or a higher resolution, you probably know this already, but it just doesn't work. Things again, they, they tend to get very blurry Unless, of course, you're working with all vector graphics, then you don't really have to worry about this. But if you're if you're working with images that are pixel-based, you're going to want to start, start high res so that you can always go down and not vice versa because it doesn't work. Now, the one exception to starting in high res, and this goes for print as well. Well, we were talking about print, I guess, because if you're going to do something for print and web, then you're starting out in print, as we said. So if you start out in print, you might want to comp it out in low res first just to save memory. And uh, it's usually always good to start out in RGB. We're usually going to do that. And then you convert it sometime close to the end to CMYK when you're almost done. But this is just a very good idea because it can save you a lot of time and... when you're first comping something out, you're not necessarily going for that final layout. You're not trying to perfect every single thing. You're just trying to, to make some kind of comp so that you can take that to whoever needs to approve it and they can say, yeah, you're going in the right direction. And then you can move on to your higher res graphics, which are going to take a longer time to maybe render different filters on or even just move, move around. Every time you move something around, you got to save every once in a while or save different versions so that you're not losing your changes if something happens. And it's going to take a lot longer for you to do that if you're uh, in high resolution. Now, the last issue I wanted to cover was actually, do we need to know both web and print? And there are certainly jobs out there where you don't need to know both. And there's jobs out there where you will work completely in print and you would never even have to know a lick of web design. And vice versa, same thing goes for web design jobs. But, and I've been looking at jobs a lot lately, I've seen so many jobs out there that ask for either one or uh, or the other in addition to your main skill. So if your main skill was print design, they would ask you to know at least a little bit of web design. Or if you're mainly a web designer, they might ask that you have some skills in print design to be able to help out on that side as well. And we also had the question before, uh, I think it was a couple shows back. Do I need to know HTML? Well, I kind of gave a roundabout answer to that last time. But now, after knowing this, I would probably say yes. It's good to know at least a little bit, at least have that basis enough to know how to hand code a little bit of HTML. And I think one of the main reasons that that people are doing this these days, first of all, there's a lot of jobs that you can get where you kind of have to be that do-it-all person. And if you've trained yourself to be a niche designer, this obviously isn't going to be a job that you're going to want or a job that you're fit for even because you've trained yourself in one specific area. And there's certainly a lot of jobs out there for people like that. But there is also a lot of jobs out there these days where they want people who have several different skills, not just in one area, but they want them to be able to help out in several different areas. Uh, a more specific example for what's going on with these kind of jobs, though, if you're a print designer and they want you to know a little bit of web, they want you to know HTML or be able to use something like Dreamweaver at least a little bit, it's most likely because they have a website that they want you to be able to make updates to. and this might not even mean you know, changing the graphics on it or creating a website or doing anything major like that. Maybe it's just going in and changing some of the content that's on the website. So you would obviously have to have some kind of knowledge of either uh, a WYSIWYG program that you can go into and actually see the page and be able to change it, or you would have to know how to code HTML so you can go in and make sure that you don't muck up anything else and make sure that you know you don't want to be making it so that some other functionality on the page doesn't work now because you didn't know what you were erasing out of the HTML or, or writing over or what, what have you. So I guess what I'm saying is you might want to keep some of those skills on the radar. Now, I, I think a lot of schools out there, a lot of design schools out there, will teach you kind of a basis of everything, and then you'll go in and specialize in something. That's how my school was. We went through, we we did everything from actually comping up pieces for photo ready art to going in on Quark and learning how to do a little bit of desktop publishing. And then we learned Photoshop and Illustrator, and then we learned how to do some web design, and then we kind of like were let loose. Now you can do video, now you can do multimedia, now you can specialize in web or print. And that way it gives you a good basis of skills so that you could get one of these jobs maybe as kind of a, a stay over until you get that niche job that you're really looking for. So I think it's a good thing to have those skills if, you, if you're able to get them. And of course, these are things that you can probably teach yourself. HTML is not very hard. You could probably get one book and know enough to go get one of those jobs where they say, hey, it's a bonus if you know a little bit of HTML. So it's just something to keep in mind there.
1: Now that's what I call
0: a review mistake. Uh, Our mistake today has to do with what I was talking about, about doing a comp at full resolution. And this is a mistake that I actually made early in my career. Uh, I was making some graphics that were oversized, so it wasn't like just a, a brochure or something page size, letter size. It was something pretty big. And I was actually working at full resolution, which uh, isn't always 300 PPI. Uh, When you make trade show graphics or things like that, they're actually 100 PPI. But they're so massively huge that it still takes forever. So you got to make sure, especially if you're working on something like this that's very large, you're going to want to comp it up first at either a very smaller size, like a page size, or take it down to a web resolution and comp it up and figure out what you're gonna do first and then go back once you've got your final, your final layout planned out, then go back and actually make it at full resolution.
1: Things are getting a bit out of hand. Looks like it's time to go to the bullpen.
0: The website for today is an excellent source for getting books, training books on design, or just training for applications. It is called Peach, Peach Pit Press, and you can find that at peachpit.com. Uh, as always, that'll be linked up in the show notes on the website rookiedesigner.com/rookie. This is a great place to find just about any training book that you're ever going to need, and also it you you're able to sign up for a membership. And I recommend that you do that if you buy books from them because you can actually save. Let's see, it says right on the page here, save up to 30% instantly. But it's free to become a member and they send you coupons every once in a while and you can get books dirt cheap. I think I bought about four or five of the Apple Training Series books, the ones that are on like Final Cut Pro. Those things are usually, I believe, $60 to $80. I got about four or five of them for about $100 for the whole total. So it's definitely worth it. You're going to find some great deals on here and also some very good books. And it's a great place to, to just search for books because they have so many different ones. So Peach Pit Press, you can find that at peachpit.com. All right, that's about all I had for today's show. As always, if you want to contact me, ask me any kind of question or suggestions for show topics. I always love to get those and I have been getting them here and there. So I thank everybody that sends them in. I am trying to do my research and, and get those topics up as quickly as possible, but you can email me adam at rookie You can visit myspace.com slash rookie designer, become my friend and you can send me comments and messages that way. You can use the call in line 619-573-4043 and add the add a one and a country code if you're calling outside the U.S. You can also Skype me if you have Skype and you Skype me at my username Titanstrides and you can leave me a message that way. And of course, the best way to do it is to go to rookiedesigner.com forum and join as a member of the forums and, and you can talk to everybody that way and we have a great time talking about design and other things. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And remember to nominate me for a podcast award if you think I deserve it. And also give me your vote for Podcast Alley if you haven't done so this month. All right, thanks for listening. And just remember, everybody's a rookie before they're an all-star.
1: That one's high. It's got the distance. It's high.